1: Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on
0: iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Let me tell you about our special guest tonight. Kenneth Johnson has created, written, directed, produced dozens of films and incredible Emmy Award-winning television shows, including The Bionic Woman, The Incredible Hulk, Alien Nation, his original landmark series V, of course. He produced The Six Million Dollar Man, And uh, here he is to talk about also his latest work, The Darwin Variant, which is a, a fictional book, but it's got a lot of overtones to it. Kenneth, welcome back to the program.
1: Thanks very much, George. It's a delight to be back, and and do please uh, feel free to call me Kenny. Uh, okay. My, my dad was Kenneth Senior, and uh, so as a kid, I was always Kenny, <laughs> and uh, and now all of my friends and cast and crew always call me that, at least in, to my face, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I got to tell you what kind of an honor it is to talk with you because I have watched your television shows, not knowing who you were then, mm-hmm. uh, and and my my gosh, Ken, just a great clever job that you've done.
1: No, thank you so much, George. Well, it's an honor to talk to you, too. You're something of a legend in radio, so it's... Uh, Sometimes uh, in my own mind.
0: When when, uh, when, you you were the producer of The Six Million Dollar Man, and then you spun off The Bionic Woman. Tell me about that that evolution.
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was very interesting. Uh, when I, uh, I I had had a, a fair career back in New York uh, as a producer, director, and, and uh, never a writer, and uh, I never thought I was very good as a writer. Um, and uh, shortly after that, I ended up at the Mike Douglas Show for a while, which is a, a whole separate story we can talk about because uh, it was quite an amazing experience. And uh, and when I, I but I had always wanted to be in motion pictures and do film work, and uh, I had studied at, the, at Carnegie Mellon, uh, the drama department there, which was a theater. At, uh, school. There was no film or goodness gracious, no television. <laughs> you know? They were really, very snooty about it. Uh, and I can tell you a, a story also, too, about uh, how Rod Serling came to visit us uh, one day when I was at Carnegie. Sure. But um, uh, when I, I finally, after having done The Douglas Show, pretty successfully, I was executive producer, and it was the biggest talk show in the country Oh, it was the huge. At the he, absolutely. And I came to Hollywood and said, OK, here I am ready to make movies. And Hollywood said, now you're a talk show producer. You know, and uh, uh and I sorta of had to start all over again, George. Uh and and I was literally sleeping on the on the on the couch of my pal Steve Botchko, who had been at Carnegie with me and had come out to California before me and had gotten his foot in the door as a writer, fledgling writer at Universal. Uh and Steve said, Kenny if you write, you have a better chance, because actors can do bit parts and work their way up. Writers can write spec scripts until hopefully somebody buys something. But if you're a director, they either give you the movie to direct or they don't, and until you've done it for somebody else, they don't, you know? So... I said, but Steve, I, I can't write. I'm not a writer. And he said, yeah, it's not hard. He said, you just stare at a blank sheet of paper until beads of blood appear on your forehead. And and George, that's what it was like for me. It was, writing was hard, but I started writing and discovered, oh, well, I guess I can write a little bit. And I became a great writer of unproduced screenplays um, that we kept trying to get made. And uh, and Steve handed one to guy, uh, to a guy named Harv Bennett, who was a big executive producer at Universal, who was doing uh, a miniseries like Rich Man, Poor Man, and other things like that. But he also had this uh, young show called The Six Million Dollar Man, and they were in their first full season. It had started as a mid-season replacement. Uh, And they were really sort of desperate for scripts and ideas. And Harv read one of the spec scripts that I wrote for a feature, and he really liked it. He said, I can't help you get the movie made, but how about you uh, bring me some ideas for Six Mill? And I sat down with him and I said, well, the obvious thing to do is The Bride of Frankenstein. And he said, "What do you mean?" And I said, "Well, you've got this guy that's essentially sort of a, a monster. I mean, he's got these arms and legs that aren't his, and his eyes. And you know, I said, shouldn't there be a mate for him? Shouldn't there be a bionic woman?" And um, Harv liked that idea, and <laughs> uh, and asked me to uh, to write it, which I did very quickly. I hadn't uh, I hadn't made any money all that year because I spent the whole year writing, trying to get something done in, in the Santa Monica Library. Uh, and, uh, and I wrote the script, and uh, Harv and Freddie Silverman, who was running ABC, loved it. Uh, and they said, but it's, it's really too dense. There's so much story. And I said, well, Harv, I told you. that's you know What do you want me to take out? And he said, no, we don't want you to take anything out. We want you to make it longer. I said, but you've only got a one-hour show. And he said, no, this is going to be a two-parter. It was the first time anybody had done a two-parter on an episodic television show. And uh, so I said... Okay, that's great. Do I get paid again? <laughs> you know, and uh, and I did. Uh he said yes, of course. And uh, so I, I took another week or two and wrote the other half of it and uh, uh and in the course of it Harv and I really uh, hit it off uh as uh, as friends and uh he uh, invited me to become a producer writer on The 6 Million Dollar Man. Um, and I said, you know, Harv, I'm really flattered. And I, and but I, producing's kind of a pain in the neck. Can't I just write and direct for you? Because that's what I really love the most is being on the set with my cast and crew and, and actors. And he said, listen, Kenny, let me explain how it works in television. In television, the producer hires the writer, and the producer hires the director. And I said, I get it, Harv. I'll take that job.
0: I want that job. Right. <laughs>
1: exactly, George. <laughs> I mean, please, you know. <laughs> And so uh that's what we did and our, uh and in the middle of uh, me beginning to produce uh, the 6 million dollar man uh the bionic woman episodes came on and took the 6 mill uh, into the top 10 for the first time the ratings just shot up like lightning and uh and of course when that happens immediately the the network says well we should spin it off into a separate show you know and uh, uh, which I did, uh, it was not an easy thing to do because they had had me kill off my bionic woman in the original two-parter. Mm-hmm. I had said, guys, this is a mistake. In my first couple of drafts of the script, she was left in a cryogenic, water, you know, mumbo-jumbo, right? So I could bring her back if they needed her. And they said, no, 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 we want to do love story. We want, we want the heroine to die and the heroes to suffer. I said, okay. So she was dead. And now, suddenly, the, uh, the um, we, they started getting letters from people all over the country, particularly one from the head of the Boston University psychology department, who said, how dare you wow. guys create this wonderful female archetype, this, this, this empowered woman, and just throw it away. And
0: kill her off.
1: Yeah. And, well, at the same time they were getting those letters, they were really taking a look at the numbers at the ratings, you know. And they said, yeah, Kenny, why did you kill her off anyway? That was a stupid idea. And um, so they said, bring her back. Oh, sure. So uh, we brought her back and uh, uh, and in such a way that she did not remember that she had been about to marry Steve Austin so it was great uh, drama for our, our hero on that show.
0: How did you find Lindsay Wagner for The Bionic Woman?
1: Well, Harv and I were very, it was interesting because again, Harv invited me right into the process from the very beginning. I mean, normally in TV a writer writes and, and they say thanks a lot and go away. Uh, Harv was exactly the opposite. He drew me into the process uh, and and we We looked at a lot of actresses, a lot of film on actresses. We looked at uh, Stephanie Powers, I remember whom I later used in one of the Bigfoot episodes. Uh, we looked at Sally field uh, and um, but there was there was this contract player for Universal named Lindsay Wagner, who had done uh, the paper chase and uh, was quite a interesting lady. She had done a pilot for my friend Steve uh, Steve Cannell. Uh, whom Botchko introduced me to at Universal.
0: I, I remember seeing uh, he did like silk stocking. And well, yeah, like that, right? I mean, this
1: was when I first met Steve. He was a story editor on Adam Twelve, the old uh, cop show, and he was he was like Steve Botchko. They were both just starting out. Yeah, because uh, this was long before Botchko created Hill Street Blues and L.A. Law and NYPD Blue. And yada, mm-hmm. yada. But uh, uh, Lindsay had done the pilot for the Rockford Files. Uh, as a guest star, and Harv and I looked at her on the screen and said, wow, she is really an interesting actress. First of all, she's not Hollywood beautiful. She looks like the girl next door, which is what we were really looking for, um, and, and a real person. But also, Lindsay had um, a quality, George, that was uh, unique, Lindsay had a tremendous ability to to be spontaneous, to make you feel like she was making it up as she went along. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and uh, uh, and that was the thing uh, that really really captivated me the most—that she could absolutely mumble and fumble and stumble, not because she didn't know the lines, but because she was making it her own. <laughs> you know, and um, uh, and that's uh, that's what she did, and she came on board and uh, and was. It just hit the ball out of the park. She was so so good, and uh, uh, and it uh, it was no wonder that the 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 Universal and, and ABC wanted to bring her out on her own show, and uh, um, so we did. And it was uh, it was it was a bit challenging because uh, you know doing a one hour episodic television show, uh, George is is like living in a garbage disposal anyway. Uh, if you're doing a movie, you have nine months to make two hours of film.
0: That's like right. you
1: doing an episodic television show in those days.
0: Every week.
1: Yeah, 22 hours of film in the same nine months. And um, uh, and here I was not only doing Six mil, but I was also producing, executive producing, and writing the, the Bionic Woman at the same time. And it was... It was great, and it was a huge amount of fun, and I and I had a. Uh, it was like, it was a bit like graduate school with pay. Also, you know, there I was, the the youngest producer, writer, director on the Universal lot, and by the way, the lowest paid, of course. And um, uh, but I didn't have any. I wasn't having any time to direct because I was so busy. You know, when you're the admiral, and making sure the fleet is sailing in the right direction, and, and you've got shows that are prepping, that are writing, that are posting, and. you've you don't have any time to be away on the set for three weeks, and uh, so it was. Uh, I, I finally said, "Look, guys, I, I, let me just let go of Six Million Dollar Man. I, I will make less money, but that's not what's important to me." Uh, and I, so we did, we did that, and I stayed with uh, my baby, which was uh, was which, which was Bionic, and uh, um, and we had uh, a, a tremendous uh, time. I mean, for a while, I had the number one and number three shows in the ratings. Well,
0: uh, oh, that's and that's amazing. At the same time. It really is. Then you moved. So Bionic lasted what about three seasons?
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, yeah, I lasted only a season and a half on it. Um, Lindsay got into some dark times. She was she was in a, in a strange and bad marriage. She uh, had gone from from being uh, totally unrecognizable to to the fact that she tried to take her niece to Disneyland once and she couldn't get in the front gate because as soon as people saw her, she was they a mom, swamped her. You know? Yeah. And and so she was a a sort of an overnight star. And the first season, she she really hung on to it all and managed to keep it all together. But as so often happens, you know, when when you have a lot of new best friends, and uh, and some of her best friends did not have her best interest at heart, and uh, and she was really sort of heading in a in a dark direction. And um, uh, and I was uh, one of the few people, if maybe the only one, who was trying to talk straight to her and, uh, and be honest. And, you know, the reason that Michael Jackson died was because uh, when you're a star, people don't say no to you, uh, because if they do say no to you, they're no longer, you know. They think
0: they're going to get cut off or well, something. Well,
1: exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, and I and I kept trying to say, "Honey, you're going in the wrong direction." And uh, and finally, uh, we was just very clear that uh, that it couldn't, it, it was not going to work. And I went to Frank Price, who was then running Universal, and uh, said, "Look, Frank, I, I think this is a train that's headed for a cliff, and I'd really rather get off now." Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.